0: Hello and welcome to mini episode one hundred and ninety-seven of Real Life Ghost Stories, and I have two spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from September the fourth, twenty twenty-two. And story number one comes from Rhonda. He had heard ghost stories all his life, but as a teenager, my father's knowledge of the supernatural exceeded his first-hand experience. When his Scots-Irish ancestors settled into the mountains of Southwest Virginia. They brought with them centuries old stories of haints and knocking spirits, of witches and druids. From his maternal grandma, Granny, to me and my cousins, my dad learned the legends of the Cherokee, her people who had first lived on this land. Dad's mama told tales of bears and panthers, copperheads and coyotes and of strange creatures in the dark, unsettled woods beyond their farm. Like other mothers, she used these stories to keep the children close by, safe and out of trouble. You see, these mountain people lived and breathed superstition. It permeated their lives from birth to the grave, and probably beyond. As the fourth eldest of seven sons, my dad was cautious, but not overly. He was helpful and quick to behave within the sight of his elders, and just as quick to get into mischief when there weren't grown-ups around. But Daddy's childhood was cut short the summer he turned 13. His father came down with tuberculosis, they called it consumption in them days, and was shipped off to Catawba Sanatorium, plumb up near Roanoke, where he spent months recovering. With her two eldest already married and caring for their own homes and families, Mama still had five mouths to feed, six including hers. If they was to have enough food for the harsh winter, the garden and livestock needed tending, fruits and vegetables canned and the dwindling supply of meat in the smokehouse replenished. My dad and his brother Herschel, the two oldest boys at home, slipped into a routine of daily chores. They milked the cows and hauled the water from the well. They cut and gathered hay, weeded and hoed the garden, picked the beans and corn. At the edge of the woods, they gathered wild berries, apples and pawpaws. They helped keep an eye on the youngins too. Sometimes they hired out to neighbour farmers to bring in a little extra money. It was a summer of backbreaking work, the kind that made a man out of you. As the leaves turned orange, yellow, red and brown, the three younger brothers went on back to school. Dad and Herschel stayed on the farm. Helping feed the family fell mostly to them now. When the weather turned cold of a night, they knew the winter was a-coming fast. It was time to kill the hogs and work up the meat. Kinfolk and neighbours came to help. The women laughed and talked while making apple butter in the big kettle out back. Axes echoed against trees as the men cut and split wood for feeding the family's fire throughout the winter. They all pitched in. Like Cain and neighbours did for one another. Now deer was plentiful in them parts, especially in the fall. Squirrels, raccoons and rabbits too. And they set about storing up their food for the winter. My dad... He possessed sharp eyes and ears and was naturally good with a gun. He'd go into the woods and come back in no time flat with a prize, fresh meat for supper. Dad said he enjoyed them time spent hunting. On up through October, him and his dog Blue trekked into them woods together every chance they got. As Daddy tells it, Blue was a good dog. He knew how to tree raccoons at night and trail game quieter than a Cherokee during the day. And that dog wasn't as scared of nothing. Not even the bang after Daddy's trigger pulled. Why, he'd run like a blue streak to retrieve the small game. When they were lucky enough to get a deer, that dog would prance around like he was the one who done kilted. And he'd trail behind with his head held high like the protective rear guard as Dad drug it home. One cold day on about the second week of November, Mama smelt snow in the air. Dad figured it might be his and Blue's last chance to go a-hunting for a while. He bundled up, packed himself a biscuit and some strong rope, grabbed his gun and knife and called for Blue. He aimed to be back before dark with some meat for stew. The two of them set out at a quick pace. Dad knowed a clearing in the woods where the deer came out of an evening. The sun was sinking low over the trees and the shadows were starting to fall. They made it to the spot in record time, settling in to wait behind a tree on the edge of the clearing. Blue laid down and rested his head on Dad's leg. They both listened and waited, waited and listened still as statues for what seemed like hours. Suddenly a twig snapped Blue's head popped up and they was both on alert. Dad moved his upper body ever so careful to peek around the tree, but nothing was in the clearing. In a few more minutes, Blue sniffed at the sack on Dad's belt, trying to get the morsel sort of biscuit. Dad got it out, tore off a good portion to share, and then the only sound was the two of them a- chewing. The next thing Dad remembered was waking up, still sat against that tree except now it was dark as his eyes acclimatised dad noticed he didn't hear Blue's breathing he felt the ground beside him and he realised that his dog was gone he whispered Blue's name once then louder and listened nothing no sound the woods was eerily quiet and the blackness around him felt heavy well shucks he thought No dog, no game and not even a lantern to get home with. In his hurry, he had forgot to bring it. But at least he had his gun. Nothing doing now but to get on home. He knew his mama would be wringing her hands with worry. So he started walking the way him and Blue had come. The only sound was the leaves crunching under his boots. That's just the time them stories he'd heard about these woods came a-creeping into his head. Breathing a little faster, he picked up his pace. Directly, he felt something cold hit his cheek. And after a few more somethings, he realised it was snowflakes. And just then, his ears caught a new sound. He judged it was about seven or eight feet behind. Rustling leaves was a dead giveaway that something was trailing him. Dad gripped his gun tighter and stopped. Whatever was behind him stopped too, just as quickly as he had done. Oh Lord, was it a haint or a witch that lived out here all alone? Then his brain began thinking up all the animals that might track a person, eat a person. Could be a bear coyote panther the last one stuck a panther loved to stalk its prey and came out mostly at night he willed his body to stay calm too scared to turn around and see himself what was there and began walking stepping slow and purposeful the hair on the back of his neck stood up when the thing started walking too he picked up his pace a little faster he went A little faster it went. The thing was a-toying with him. His heart thudded in his chest like John Henry's hammer. He knew if he started running that thing would run too. And that might be the end of Mama's fourth son. Would anyone find him or what was left of him if a wildcat tore him apart out here in the woods? He walked quicker and quicker as fast as his feet would carry him without breaking into a full run. The thing kept perfect pace with him. His mind raced. He thought he could feel its hot breath getting closer. Suddenly he could take no more. He broke out into a run, taking long strides and covering some serious ground. He was a fast runner and might just have a chance. Then he saw the lights in the distance. Home. Keep a running. Keep a running. He had never sprinted faster in his life than he did in those last hundred yards to that porch. Keep a running. Keep a running. About 60 feet from the house, he started yelling for all he was worth. The door opened as his feet carried him across the yard and jumped the steps. He sailed through the door, hollering, Don't let it get me! Don't let it get me! He made it into the kitchen and collapsed onto the floor, sucking in air, his blue eyes wild and bulging. His mama and his brothers gathered around, old wide-eyed too, everybody talking at once, trying to figure out just what the heck had happened. Mama finally shushed everyone she scanned for injuries on her boy but didn't see nary a one she finally asked what in tarnation wayne what do you hollering about chasing you it was then my dad saw the rope he had tied to his britches earlier it had come a loose and a good two yards of it was lying limp on the floor connected with the rest of his belt loop well, when he saw that, he commenced to laughing and laughing. He laughed till they thought he'd lost his ever-loving mind. He finally caught his breath and told him how he thought that rope was a panther, hot on his tail, a-chasing him out of the woods. And them brothers? They never let him live it down, and even tell their young'uns and their grand' uns about it. And His dog? Well, old Blue had got bored and made it way back to the house before dad. He was fast asleep in the barn. Just as an FYI, Rhonda wrote this story in the local dialect and I have never wanted to be able to do accents more. I can't do accents. I'm not able to do them. I just think this story would have sounded so much better better in in an accent and I just it, it ends it ends up it would end up just being offensive if I did the accent so Rhonda I appreciate the work that you put into making this sound like it's in the authentic voice and I apologize for not being able to provide the goods I loved this story I mean setting the scene it sounds like like it was a hard life but an idyllic life I also imagine that I'd do really well like living in a cottage you know, farming the land or whatever. I wouldn't. I absolutely wouldn't. I have no experience of that. So why would I? Interesting that your dad is of seven sons, particularly if your dad's family are of Scots and Irish heritage. Like the seventh son is a very important person within the family spiritually. So I would be curious to know if there were any Stories about the seventh son within your family. I'm also very aware, too, that during this story I said Cherokee about 17 different ways. I, well, at least I think I did, but now I'm not sure. I don't know. So I apologize if I did. And these stories are my favorite. These stories where people are absolutely terrified, where they feel like everything's gone terribly wrong. They're going to get eaten by like a skinwalker or something. Something horrific is going to happen out in the woods. And then they realize it's completely explainable and natural and really if he had just looked around he probably would have been like oh it's my rope and like your dad's family my family would rinse me forever if i did that forever there would be a new nickname the whole lot and strain number two comes from laura his name was barnacle bill the sailor man because that's what can happen when a precocious two-year-old names his new puppy But to his family, friends, and neighbours, he was ever just Barney. Barney was six months older than me, the baby that came along three months after he became part of the family. Yes, a toddler, a puppy, and a newborn. The chaos of our home life at the time is stuff of many family stories. He was my brother's dog, but he was my protector, and I his puppy. As a black lab, Barney was as comfortable in the water as on dry land. We lived on the southern tip of Vancouver Island, near the beach, and Barney was always either wet or his fur was tangy smelling and salt crusty. He loved to fetch sticks thrown far out into the water and worry the seabirds. My little arms couldn't throw a stick very far, but I could manage to get small stones a few feet out, which Barney would happily dive for. The interior of the island was still being logged at the time and tugboats would sometimes pull flotillas of logs down to the mill at Port Angeles on the American side of the Strait of Juan de Fuca. I was four years old when one such flotilla broke apart and logs scattered the coastline five or six wide in places. This meant that it was possible to walk from the beach out on the logs to about four feet deep. My brother and I were running over the logs, paying no attention to how far we were from the beach, when the log I was crossing suddenly parted and I fell in between. I remember the shock of the cold water, the sting of salt in my eyes, and looking up to see the logs close over me. I didn't have time to be scared. Barney came from nowhere, he had a mouthful of my hair and was pulling. He only let go when the logs parted again and my brother reached down, grabbed another handful of my hair and pulled me up. It all happened so quickly that my father was still running down the beach when my brother deposited me on shore perfectly fine with the exception of a sore scalp. My brother said he only knew where to look because Barney had been barking to get his attention before diving in. Barney lived a long life, but also not long enough. As a moody teenager, I often wandered the woods alone. I loved the solitude and the fact that no one would follow me. I found silent clearings I imagined to be fairy circles and there were trees eager for conversation. Once it had been about a year since Barney died and I was angrily stomping through the woods, probably angry at my mother over something that was completely my fault, not paying attention to my surroundings and I came face to face with an angrier black bear. She likely had cubs somewhere. I was trying to remember what to do in this situation while simultaneously being busy reflecting on what an idiot I was when our neighbor's huge German shepherd lunged between us, teeth bared and heckles up. This dog was never let out of the yard unless on a leash and had a reputation for being aggressive and unpredictable. The bear, probably having heard the same rumours, turned her back and crashed away through the underbrush. The dog led the way back up the trail. Before we separated at the road, he threw me a look over his shoulder, which he probably meant as a dumbass. But I noticed for the first time that his eyes were the same amber as Barney's. Oh, that dog has got your back. Those dogs have got your back, Laura. I love in this story how there is no sense of danger from the children so obviously you know big floating logs out in the ocean go for it running up and down them and I'm sure the parents were just like yeah I'm sure that's fine yeah it's not that's not a problem and obviously you were just really lucky to have that dog there to sit to to be able to let your brother know what had happened so that you could be saved oh that 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 made me feel funny that the vision of the logs closing over above you oh no and being out for a walk and coming face to face with a black bear who probably had cubs somewhere so she'd be really angry and defending them. And then a German shepherd just randomly coming and saving you. Like, honestly, Laura, you got some serious guardian angel stuff going on there. And also, Vancouver sounds like a, a, an incredibly dangerous place to live. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Rhonda and Laura for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story came from September the 4th, 2022. If you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to at gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for more content, you can sign up to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad-free. And on that note, I shall see you next time.